Yeah, I knew there'd be a lot of you. So many people skipped church last night, which is why the Broncos lost. No, the, the, the reason they lost is Brady sold his soul to the devil. That's it. And, uh, amen. Right, amen. All right, so uh, I can't believe I said that. Anyway, hey, uh, hey, we are really, really, really glad that, that you're here. There are a lot of us here. There's a lot more people coming in. Hey, while people are trying to find a seat, let me just kind of give a little advertisement really, really, really quick. We have three other services, you know, and it's like, if you go into like our three-year-old room right now, I think there's like 75 three-year-olds, but if you came last night, there's like six, you know, and, and you can have your own row. It's just great. So anyway, uh, just really pray and consider that, uh, or, uh, yeah. Wow, there's a lot of you. Okay, so, hey, let, let me jump into this. Last week, we kicked off the new year. We kicked off a, with a new, a new series called Reverse Engineering, where over the next several weeks, the next couple months anyway, we're going to be asking ourselves some really important, really tough questions. Questions like this, who, who am I? A lot of us don't know who we are, or somebody has told us who we are, and it's just not true. And the other question that goes with that is, who is God? And it's the same thing. I'm not sure who God is. I don't know what he's like. I don't know what he thinks about me, and I don't know what's possible if I had him in my life. So, so last week, the, the challenge went out to everyone, but especially to men in this series, to, to try to figure out the answer to both of those questions, and then take aim at being not just a better man, because there's lots of definitions of that floating around, but, but take aim at what Jesus says, and what, what he says about, this is what a, a better man looks like, this is what a better man does, and then fire our entire lives at, at that target. So last weekend, if, if you were here, I, to kind of kick that off, I invited or challenged or coerced as many men as possible to come in here after the Bronco game last Sunday afternoon, kind of as a statement as, uh, of, we're, we're going to try this. We, we really are serious about becoming better men. And my, I, I tell you, my mind got blown. Uh, last Sunday night, at less than 24 hours notice, almost 4,000 men came in here last Sunday night. It was awesome, all right? We came in here, we, we, we opened up God's word, we prayed together, and then we began a journey. We began a journey towards becoming the men that we know we need to be, and that we desperately want to be. I, I got this question a lot last weekend, it's on, uh, I've got a Facebook message and everything. The question is this, is, is the audio or is the video from last Sunday night's man event, is it available? And, and the answer is yes, all right? It's available in a couple different places. One is, you can go on our website, um, and it's right there, and you can click on that and listen to it and, or watch it. It's also out in the lobby, uh, we have a, a, a man's resource table out there, it has the Grow a Pair book out there, you might want to pick that up, but it's available in the lobby. Now get this, ready? Listen, it's available to any man who wants it. Or, listen carefully, any woman who wants to listen to what was said last Sunday night and promises not to use any of its content as a weapon against any man in her life. <laughs> now, we're going to go on the honor system here, ladies, but God is watching, all right? So, so you can't, you know, please don't throw what I said or what Scott said or what Jesus said. Don't throw that in some guy's face and go, you know, God said this and you're nothing like it. Just, just don't get the CD or don't get the DVD if that's your plan, please. We don't need more of that in our life, all right? So last Sunday night, here's where uh, we, we, we ended last weekend. We, we have to start where we are, whether that's a good place or whatever. We have to start where we are. So we ended last Sunday night by answering some really hard questions. We wrote the answers down on cards. Here are the questions we answered last weekend. How would the most important woman in my life describe me? What words? How would my kids describe me? How do I see myself? And more importantly, who do I want to become? So those are the words we want to be. Those are the words that we are. And that's where we start. So we have to be honest 
We have to be honest about our lives and be truthful. Even though we have said in the past we want to be better men and we want to do better things in our life, in reality, just be honest, all right, we have repeatedly kept aiming our lives way over there and then being surprised when we miss our target over there and keep on repeating the same behaviors over and over and reaping the same outcomes. We have to be honest about that. We have, to, we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to let go of and run away from the things that have kept on messing us up and tripping us up and keeping us from running our race and hitting our target. And men, we have to get to this point in our life where we accept the fact that God loves us. He still loves us in spite of our mistakes. That, that Jesus died on a cross to pay for those sins and mistakes that we've made in the past. And that, that's where we start. That's the first part. That's called grace. That's what gets us here. But the other thing about Jesus dying on a cross for you was this. Once your sins and mistakes, once your past is forgiven, now, now you can move on. With Christ inside of you, he can begin to transform you and, and make what was impossible all by yourself, what you've tried to do in the past, it could actually be possible with him in your life. And we get that because Jesus promised that. Look at what Jesus said in, in Matthew 19. Look here on the screen. Jesus looked at them and they were trying to argue with him about the thing. It's just, you can't be done, God, all right? And Jesus looked back at them and he said, with man, with you all by yourself, this life, all right, is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, so applying that to men, here's what it means for us. And women, of course, this applies to you, but, but you can do the math. But men, let me tell you, if you're trying to become a better man, and your plan is to keep on trying to become a better man and keep on trying to carry around all the guilt and the burden of your past, your guilt, your shame, your mistakes. I'm gonna just tell you straight up, you are not gonna make it. You're just not. So ask Jesus to forgive your past and he'll say yes and then take that load off. Second, if you're gonna try to become a better man all by yourself without Jesus, I don't need God in my life, I, I, I can do this. Good luck to you. Really, I'm serious. And you might do okay in some areas of your life because you're just tough enough. But in the really hard, important, this feels impossible areas of my life, it's just not going to happen. But with Jesus in your life, and maybe another man or two in your life to, to link arms with you and do life with you, according to Jesus, impossible things become possible. We have a shot. It's still possible. So we know we have to get rid of some things and walk away from some things and, and get some things out of our life. But here's the second thing we looked at last week. We have to, I love this, it says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, or, or in shooting terms, let's, let's fix our sights. Let's put the kind of man that Jesus was and is, let's, let's just fix our eyes on that kind of Jesus and shoot our entire lives at him. And that's what this entire series is going to be about. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the target. What he says about himself, what he says about, about life, what he says about you and about me. We're going to start there and work back to where we are today, and then wherever we are this morning, we're going to try to engineer a plan to get from here to there, or from here to, I, I'm finally that man. I'm finally the, the man that Jesus had in mind when he, when he created me, the man I've always wanted to be. Let me take a time out, though, real quick. Before we go any further in this series, I, I need to clear something up, all right? Before we talk about any of the roles that we men may play in our life, husband, father, boyfriend, son, whatever that is, all right? All the roles that you will ever hold in your life, it's all a house of cards. It's all built on a shaky foundation, Men, if, if you don't first understand what it means to be a man, whether you're ever married or single or young or old, with kids, no kids, you've got to get the I'm a better man part figured out first. And if, you, if you're willing to do that or able to do that, everything else in your life will fall in line later. I'll give you an example. I need to work on being a better man now, and the result is my wife Robin gets a better husband. I can read all the books I want about being a better husband. It's just irrelevant unless I first get my own heart figured out. 
I have to become a better man. Robin gets a better husband. When I'm a better man, my kids get a better dad every day. When I'm a better man, our, our church gets better leaders. My, my business gets a better boss or a better employee. My school, my, my team, my, my, my community gets a better me. But if I don't get that better man part figured out now, it's a matter of time to all the other parts of my life and all the people in my life who need me to be that man, need me to be better. It's a matter of time until they inherit all the fallout and the consequences of my less than I should be decisions. And honestly, that's where a lot of us live right now. A lot of us are living in this kind of a situation. People in my life are living with my mistakes. Not, not, not theirs, my mistakes, my decisions fell on them. And again, you didn't come in here to, to, to rehash the past or, or feel guilty about the past. We're just being honest about where we're starting. We don't want, this is why we're here, we don't want our future to be more of the past. We believe it's not too late. So we're gonna ask God to forgive us through Jesus. We're gonna, we're gonna shake off the past. We're gonna do whatever we have to do to give ourselves and the people in our lives that we love a, a, a better future. And we're gonna start with fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's where we're going to start today. Let's do that, all right? That was the introduction. Okay, so if you have your Bible with you, find, it, find Luke chapter 2. So Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 2. It's in your program. It's here on the screens. There are free Bibles at all the doors in the back. They're free. Take one. Go home and read some more of, of the stuff that, that, that we're talking about. Let, let's start with Jesus. From the Christmas story until Jesus gets baptized 30 years later, there's not much in the Bible. Right, there's a whole Bethlehem thing and all that kind of stuff. And then the next time we see him, he's 30 years old, showing up at the Jordan River, get, getting baptized, all right? There's not really much mention of him, except there's this one little story we're gonna look at today. It's found in Luke chapter two, all right? And we're gonna, let me kind of, kind of set it up. Jesus is 12 years old, and this is important. Because in Jewish culture, at age 13, Jewish boys begin to take their, their place as men in society, so Jesus is this 12-year-old little kid, and his family, Mary and Joseph, they, they, they take a trip from their hometown of Nazareth, that's where they live, about 40 miles to this place called Jerusalem, where there's this big religious feast, and Jewish people from all over that part of the world have crowded into this city, and when they get there, Mary and Joseph get separated from Jesus, and they can't find him for three days. Now, now, parents, you got to think about that. If you went down to a Bronco game, or, or you went downtown, you know, whatever, and there's a convention in town, or a parade, and you lose your kid... In downtown Denver, for three days, you're, you're looking day and night for him. And eventually, they do find him. They, they, they go over to the temple, which is right in the middle of Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe they thought he was there. Maybe they went there to pray. When, when something's going on with your kids, you pray, right? So they walk in the doors of the temple, and there's Jesus. They find him with the teachers all surrounding him, and they're asking him questions. So all these old teachers, wise rabbis, have Jesus in a corner, and they're all asking him questions. And two things happen when they get there. First, the teachers are amazed because Jesus knows all the answers to the questions. It's like, how did you know that? I'm God, all right? But that, anyway, so anyway, I wrote the book. But anyway, so, so, so there's that. They're kind of like, who is this little kid? The other thing that's going on is after three days of looking for their son, Mary and Joseph are upset with him. I don't blame them. It's like, where have you been, young man? Get on the donkey and we're going, right, right, right? Every man, every parent in here can understand that. So we're going to pick up the story in, in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 48. It says this, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Moms never change. There you are, a little guilt on there, all right? So anyway, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have anxious, been anxiously searching for you. And here's, here's, here's Jesus, right? Why are you searching for me? He's, he's a 12-year-old boy. Why? Right? Well, uh, what's going on? So why, why are you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So in a way, Jesus is different than any other junior high boy on the planet, but he's also the same as every junior high boy on the planet, right? Meaning this, and every guy in this room is gonna understand this. Jesus is in that in-between age, trying to figure out what's going on. Two things are going on in his life. He's feeling the tension of a boy becoming a man, and he's feeling the tension of, of becoming and doing what people are telling him to do, becoming who people perceive him to be and who they think he should be. And he's wrestling with who he knows God has made him to be. And he has a tug of war going on in his life right there in junior high. Now, in in Hebrews chapter four, we read that the way that Jesus is able to to understand what we're going through in our lives, sympathize with our problems and temptations and weaknesses today, the Bible says that when Jesus walked around on on the earth for those 33 years, while he was here, he was tempted in every way that every man in this room has been or will be tempted, which kind of blows my mind because I've been tempted to some really freaky stuff. So Jesus goes, yeah, me me too. I've been tempted to do that. Meaning this, all right, as as Jesus was navigating and deciding the choices and paths and options in front of him, as he moved from being a boy to being a man, a a child becoming a teenager, a teenager becoming a 20-something and then moving into his 30s, he was bombarded, like all of us are, right? He was bombarded with people in his life telling him this is who you are and this is what you should be and God telling him something else, right? He has voices that speaking into both sides of his head. And just like us, he could have chosen to go with either one. We talk about two deals on the table. Jesus had two deals on the table. Here's what everybody's telling me I should do. Here's what I know God wants me to do. And every time the Bible says, he chose to go God's way. So let's look at what that looked like in his life. Verse 51. Then he, then Jesus went down to Nazareth. That's that little hometown. He went down to Nazareth with them, his parents, and was obedient to them. But his mother, Mary, treasured all these things in her heart. So Jesus goes home with his parents and he's obedient to his parents. Get this, even though he knows more than them. Even though he understands what's really, really going on and they don't. Even though the Bible says that he holds the world together and and things were created through him, he submitted himself to imperfect parents. Why? Why why did he do that? Well, Well, first of all, because... The Bible, God's word tells children to obey their parents in the Lord. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. The result is a blessed life. But, but, so, so maybe Jesus submitted to Mary and Joseph because God's word says so. And that was enough for Jesus. All right. That's what the Bible says. I don't, maybe, maybe I understand it. Maybe I don't. But, but that's what God says. I'm, I'm going to follow it. But, but, but maybe, and this may be more my opinion than anything else, but I, I think Jesus submitted himself to his earthly imperfect parents as an example for us. Like, like he knew that by doing that, putting himself under the authority of somebody else, God would build the character and spiritual disciplines into him that he would need later in his life when the toughest decision he would ever have to make would have to be made, the cross. We cover this story every, every Easter. Jesus is in a garden. The, the guards are on their way to come and arrest him and execute him. And he's praying to his father. And remember what he prays? You know, if there's any other way than the cross, let's go with that. But not my will, yours be done. So here are the deals on the table. A cross, crucifixion, paying for the sins of all people, or this other thing that might not be as painful. Here's what God wants me to do. Here's my own thing. And he goes with God's. So so Jesus goes home with his parents, and we have one sentence about how Jesus spends the next 18 years, and then nothing until he shows up at age 30 and gets baptized in a river. One verse and then nothing. Here, here's what Jesus did from age thir- 13 to, to 30. And just let me tell you right up front, okay? 
We're only going to get through half of this verse today, and then I'm going to stop abruptly, and it's not like a cliffhanger. You have to come back for the rest of it, and some of you go like, oh, you should have stopped earlier, All right? But, so we're, we're just going to stop really, really abruptly, but here's what Jesus did from 13 all the way till the next time we see him. Verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And then nothing. So Jesus goes home and he obeys his parents and he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. For 18 years, nothing. Here's what he was doing during those 18 years, according to the Bible. It says that he grew. All right, you might want to circle that and write a line out to the side of your Bible and write some more words. It literally translates, he, he increased, he moved forward in several areas of his life. What are they? He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men or with, or with people. And what's that mean? It means that the next time that we see Jesus, whatever he is as a man at 30, the things he does, the things that he says, the way he treats people, the way he treats women, the way he interacts with his parents, the way he interacts with God, the way he treats money, they are all the results of what happened, how he moved forward in those 18 years. And what do you find in 30-year-old Jesus when you, when you finally see him again? If you could get in a time capsule and go back to that time and follow 30-year-old Jesus around for a couple of days, what kind of man was Jesus? One of my, my favorite uh, pastors, uh, he's, a, he's an author, his name's Mark Driscoll, he's up in Seattle. I like how he describes Jesus as a man. Look at this, read along with me, he says this. He says, the, the key to understanding masculinity is Jesus Christ. Jesus was tough with the religious blockheads, false teachers, the proud, and bullies. Jesus was tender with women, children, and those who were suffering or humble. Jesus was tough enough to go to the cross without shedding a tear, and Jesus was tender enough to weep over the death of his friend. Additionally, Jesus took responsibility for himself. He worked a job for the first 30 years of his life, swinging a hammer as a carpenter. He also took responsibility for us on the cross where he substituted himself and died in our place for our sins. My sins are my fault, not Jesus' fault. But Jesus made them, my sins, his responsibility. This is the essence of the gospel, the good news. If you understand this, it'll change how you view masculinity. So how, how do you become that man? How does Jesus go, on, go from being this 12-year-old little kid, all right, to being a man who's been raised in a culture, for example, that treats women as slaves or farm animals, all right? Yet, yet when we meet Jesus, Jesus gives more value and treats women with more dignity than any other man in the Bible. How does a 12-year-old boy become that man? How do you get there? How does, here, guys, listen to this, all right? How does human Jesus, the man, Spend three years with thieves and liars and prostitutes, yet never once does he steal, lie, break his word, or commit any type of sexual sin or indiscretion. How does a guy do that? Right? How does Jesus become a man who knows God's word and what it says about truth, yet never once can you find one story about Jesus where he takes God's word and uses it as a weapon against people who haven't lived up to that truth? We'll play this out even further. How does a man who knows what's right, he does, he knows what's right, has done his best to teach what is right to people. How does he look back at the very people who reject everything he has offered them and yet is still willing to make their problems his problems and do whatever it takes to make sure that they're gonna be okay? How is Jesus ready and able to do that? And the answer is, according to the Bible, is he grew. He moved forward. So let's look at some of the areas of life, of Jesus' life, in which he grew, and by application, that we as men and women, but men, we, we need to grow in these areas. First, look at this, all right? He says that he grew in wisdom and stature. Now look at that really, really quick, all right? This is really, really important. All right, at first glance, you'll miss this, and I've actually heard teachers teach this the wrong way because they, 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 they stick a word in there that shouldn't be there. 
Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. All right? It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And the way the sentence is structured there doesn't leave these things, wisdom and stature, as different or or separate things, but links them together, inseparable, as if to say both of these things, both of these parts of your life, they have to move forward together if a man is ever going to get to where he needs to be. Let's break that down. Here's what that means. To grow in wisdom means more, guys, than go to school, study hard, and make good grades. Although going to school and studying hard and making good grades is a wise thing to do. But to grow in wisdom here, it means this, to grow and increase in your ability to make wise choices, to make wise decisions, to use good judgment and good sense. The word wisdom literally means this, to form a plan that leads to the best possible outcome. To form a plan that gives you your best shot at having the result that you're looking for. And the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. Actually, the opposite of of wisdom technically is insanity. Doing one thing and having an expectation of an unrealistic result. In gun terms, shooting over there and then being surprised why you keep missing your target over there. It's it's foolish. So using the comparison of reverse engineering or, or target shooting, all right, to grow in wisdom means that Jesus grew in his ability to see all the choices before him, all the deals on the table, the same deals and choices that every man in this room has in front of him today. And, and he was able to choose the one that would get him to where he wanted to end up, the bullseye. He also had the wisdom to look at the choices that he didn't want and push them aside and walk in the other direction. And this is really, really important because Jesus wasn't just growing in wisdom. He was also growing in stature. Literally, his body was growing up, maturing. He, He was physically and hormonally and sexually and emotionally leaving childhood and becoming an adult. And with that comes all the baggage, all the challenges and temptations and opportunities and feelings that every man in this room has faced all of his life. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, either, either your body hasn't started growing yet, or you, you need to go see a doctor. I don't know, but it, it'll start. All right? But anyway, the application is clear. Ready or not, whether you want it to or not, life is going to move forward. Your body is going to mature and change. Your stature is going to move forward. Physically, sexually, relationally, things are going to start happening in your lives and in your body. Things that weren't an issue when you were a little kid are going to become an issue as you move into your teens and 20s and 30s and 40s. Opportunities and invitations and permissions are going to be offered to you and extended to you as a man that you never would have even considered as a boy. And here's the point in case you got lost in all that. Bottom line, men, if you try to grow in stature without growing in wisdom, you're going to end up being a 30-year-old little boy who can shave. Let that sink in. We talked about this Sunday night. If you try to grow in stature, grow physically, grow sexually, grow financially, whatever that is in your life, without also growing in wisdom, the end result is you're going to be a 30-year-old, 40-year-old little child, right? I'll give you an example of that. A few weeks ago, I was out shooting with some friends of mine at a gun range. It was safe, whatever. But well, one, one guy happened. He decided, I'm going to bring my two-year-old grandson to the range with me, which is dumb, all right? It got even worse when I looked over, and Grandpa thought it would be a good idea to put a 45 caliber Glock in the hand of, of this little kid and see if he could shoot the gun. And we're all like running for cover, like, go oh, shoot, shoot, or don't shoot, or something like that, all right? But anyway, because we didn't know what was about to happen. I mean, we literally ran in the other direction. And, and as crazy as that sounds, it also sounds familiar. Now, here's what I mean about that, about life. Couldn't a lot of us describe either ourselves 
or some of the men in our lives as immature little kids running around with big boy parts and big boy toys and doing big boy things, but there's no wisdom, no sense, and no plan to be found. And surrounded by people who are cringing and ducking for cover because they're afraid they're about to get shot. That's our life. And be honest, if you look back, wouldn't some of your biggest mistakes and regrets, and, oh no, I wish I could do that over, wouldn't that, couldn't that be the result of, I took an adult, grown up, for mature men only action, and I used it in an immature, childish, selfish, and unwise way. Which would be bad enough if the consequences just landed on you. But they don't. Our lack of wisdom and maturity landed hard on everybody around us. And again, if, if that's you, the point is not for you to w- feel more guilt and walk out of here going, I feel so guilty, I'm such a bad man, I need to give up. That's not the point. The point is don't give up, get up and re-aim your life at a better target and do what you have to do to get from where you are to where you need to be. And what does that mean? It means Jesus turned out pretty good. You gotta go with that, right? And, and his goal and his target was to be the man that God meant him to be. How did he get there? He realized that there are two things in life that tend to get separated, but he can't let them. If there's any hope of getting close to the target of his life. He realized that hitting the target, it's not going to happen by accident. He realized or, or his parents realized or God showed him that as a growing man, his wisdom capacity had better keep pace with his physical capacity because if he doesn't or doesn't catch up quickly, it's a matter of time until the two-year-old pulls the trigger and somebody in your life is going to get hurt or killed. So what are those big areas of our life that, that, that a boy becoming a man has to pay attention to? Or maybe a better way to ask that is this. If a boy doesn't learn to use wisdom, what are the areas of life that tend to blow apart? I'll just say it really, really practical. What are the all too common stories that have blown up our marriages? Destroyed our families and just totally trashed our lives. And the answers are, if I had you write it down on a card, I bet 90% of us would write down the same three words. Money, sex, and power. Right? Right? Most, a lot of our problems can be traced back to somebody in our life made an unwise decision, made a stupid decision in the area of finances, of sex, of of abuse of power. How many of us have been devastated by that? And I would say the answer is a lot of us. I'd even say most of us. What do you mean? Men, we, we spent money or we tried to get more money. There's nothing wrong with that. But in doing so along the way, we made some really unwise, stupid choices and decisions. And the result is I, not just I, I and my family are now paying for it. The result is I, I got fired, I lost my job, we're buried in debt and we can't pay our bills. Not because of things out of my control. I'm not talking about the economy. You can't control that. I'm talking about I had a choice in front of me and I made a bad one. And the result is everybody in my life is paying for it. Right? Or how about, how about this? Guys, how many of our stories of disaster could start with this line? So I met this girl, right? And here we go. I met this girl, all right? And we really clicked. You know, we were at work or at school or whatever, but, but, but it felt special. And I thought that we were in love. And one thing led to another. And one night I wanted to and she wanted to. And so we did, but it didn't last. And now I have guilt and shame. I also have a kid that I don't know how to take care of. And in the back of my mind, the whole time that I was dating her and sleeping with her, something in the back of my mind was saying, this isn't right, I need to walk away from this, but I made an unwise decision and now I'm paying for it, she's paying for it, and this little kid's gonna pay for it for the rest of his life. That's some of our stories. 
Or how about this, guys? When, when I was a little kid, everybody pushed me around and bullied me, and my dad, you know, abused me or whatever, and so I thought, no more. And I started working out, and I worked really hard at, at my job, and I moved my way up through the company. Now I'm in charge, and I'm the boss, and I'm going to make people do what I tell them to do. At work, at home, my wife is, and my, my kids are going to do what I'm telling them to do. Why? Because I'm a man. No, you're not. Not according to Jesus. Now you're just a really big kid who's become a, a big bully, repeating the same unwise, stupid cycle all over and setting up another kid to be a bully later. Now, if those are the unwise ways to move forward in, our, in the important areas of our life as we move towards manhood, what's a better way? There's gotta be a better way than that. And Paul writes about it. Paul writes about what Jesus did, what, what, what Paul himself did, and what we as men need to do who are trying to fix our eyes or aim our lives at Jesus. Look at what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul writes this. He says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Let me personalize that a a little bit more. When I was this little boy, I talked like a little boy. I thought like a little boy. I reasoned like a little boy. When I became a man, I put little boyish things behind me. Now, now, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with, with being a child or acting like a child if you are a child, right? All the 12-year-olds in here are going, man, they're hard on me today. I mean, wow, all right? No, if you're 12, you're 12, all right? The problem comes when you're 18 or 25 or 36 or 45 and you still talk, think, and reason and act like a 12-year-old self-centered, selfish little brat, right? That's the problem. What's that look like? What's cute in a little kid or explainable in a little kid is pathetic, and maddening and frustrating in a man. And, and, and time out here, right? This is, so we've been talking to men. I'd like to have just a quick conversation with single women, all right? Single women, young girls, high school girls, college girls, 20-something divorced people, whatever that is, all right? You, li- li- you listen up, all right? Married women, you, don't, you just look straight ahead and bite your lip, all right? So, all right? So single girls, listen, all right. Ready? Here's your application. If you end up married to a boy like that, It's because you dated a boy like that and he's no different than what you aimed for, settled for. So you don't have to do this, but here's my advice. Save yourself a lot of grief, pain, and a couple of divorces. Run. (laughs) Dump him on the curb, right? Don't date this boy. Don't have sex with this boy and please don't marry him. Well, what are you talking about? Like what? Like this. This boy's like this. I I want my mom, I want my wife, I want my girlfriend to be my maid, to be my cook, to be my sexual satisfier. Not the mom, the other ones, but go with it, all right? And I I want the the woman in my life to to be available. Come on back, come on back, all right? To be available. I want the woman in my life to be available to do anything I might need or think of. I want the woman in my life to be on call for me. She can't expect that from me for her, but she should do that for me. You need to run away from that boy. I want everyone else in my life to be willing to change their plans to accommodate my latest whim, which will change depending upon my mood, my day, or the latest movie I just saw. I want everybody to tell me, we believe in you, but not have any expectation of me to follow through or do what I said I was going to do. And that's understandable. It's even normal if you're six, right? But if you're 16 or 26 or 56 and still stuck in your it's all about me phase of life, the Bible calls that sin And the people in your life that have to live with you call it, not to your face, but when you're not around, living with you is hell on earth. It's bad. It's hard to live with you. Now, on that happy note, we're out of time. All right, so, yeah, we got a little bit more, right? But we're going to pick up right there next week. But before before we leave, I think I've, I think I'm going to leave you with one thing I figured out. 
I think I've figured out what I think is the biggest difference between a little boy and a man. And this is, again, what we're going to pick up next week. I hope you come back. The difference between a man and a boy has nothing to do with age. I know men in their early teens. I know children in their 50s, right? It has nothing to do with physical size, sexual experience, or level of power and control over other people. No, I think I figured it out. It comes down to one word, responsibility. It comes down to responsibility. What do you mean? Real men take responsibility for their lives, what God has entrusted to them, and little boys don't. That's bottom line. Real men take responsibility for their lives, what's going on in their lives, and what God has entrusted in their lives, the things, the people, the relationships, and little boys don't. Men, men recognize that the more that you have, the greater the responsibility is to make sure that wise decisions are made, that the most important areas of life just don't happen, just don't turn out okay by chance or accident, but by carefully making a plan and then carrying out a plan and protecting that plan so you can have the best possible outcome. I would go so far as to say this. Men, if you haven't written down anything in church in your whole life, I want you to write down these three or four things, please, all right? Wives, do not write this down for them. Let them take responsibility, all right? So here we go, all right? I would say the most important thing a man can do for the people in his life that he loves is first, stop making excuses. Well, I can't because, stop making excuses and stop blaming other people for what happened in your past, for what they did to you in the past. Here, here, here's the truth, all right? You're right. That should never have happened. They should never have done that to you. It was unfair. It, it wrecked a big portion of your life. You're right. It just doesn't change anything. But what about from this point on? Which for the record, you can't change your past. You can't change high school or college or what your dad did or what that person did. You can't change it. All you have is from this point on. That's all you have. That's the only thing in your control. So from this point on, how about this? Start taking responsibility for your own life and making wise choices that will give everybody in your life the best chance at getting to the bullseye. How about that? And I would say this. I'll just keep on going because no one's left. A couple have, I saw. But anyway, I, I would say the most important thing a father or a parent can do, listen up single moms especially, right? Is not to do or pay for everything that, that their son or daughter wants to do or ask for or demands because everybody else at school got one for Christmas. But to provide and do whatever is necessary for your son or daughter to make wise decisions as they grow in stature, physically, sexually, financially, so that when you're no longer there to provide and protect, your child who's now an adult has a shot at actually being successful in their life, of hitting the target of being the man or woman that Jesus has in mind for them. This is my editorial comment, so you don't have to listen to this, all right? This is me. But I, I was a youth pastor for 20 years. I, I've, I've, been a, I've been a parent for 26 years, so, so listen up, all right? Parents, you can spoil your kids and hand them everything their little childish, selfish hearts demand for or ask for. You can fix all their problems. You can go to school and fight all their battles. You can bail them out of all their messes. And the reason you're doing it is because you think you love them. But that is not the most loving thing you can do. You're actually setting them up for failure because if you bail them out when they're 16, they'll ask you to bail them out when they're 26 and 36. Now I am going to stop there. And next week we're going to pick this up because we kind of lay the land. This is where we live, right? The questions are, well, how do I get from where I am? How do I get my family, whatever's going on in my life, how do I get from here to there? How do I press this into my children? It wasn't pressed into me. Is it, is it too late for me? I'm a 20, 30, 40, 50-year-old little boy. How, how do I become that man? That's what we're gonna, we're gonna wrestle through it. Now I have one more application, okay? And then we're done, all right? We're gonna get out here just a little bit early. Don't get used to it. But here we go, all right? In light of everything that we talked about today and everything we're gonna hit next week, because it's gonna be a tough week next week. 
But the application is for everyone, but, but men. Today may have brought up a lot of memories for you, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. You might feel sad, you might feel angry. You might, you know, I've already looked at your, the woman with you and go, we're not coming back, you're making me mad. All right, that's all right. Can we all agree on this? Life is really hard. Life is really hard, man or woman, life is really, really hard. And we, we do our best. Not throwing stones at anybody. We, 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 we do our very, very best. But sometimes our best isn't good enough for what the people in our life need. So we have to admit, I'm gonna need some help in some areas of my life. And I believe that the best, most courageous, strongest, wisest decision that a boy or a man could ever make is to ask Jesus to come and live inside of him and begin to guide every step and decision that he has to make. What, what do you mean? Well, you've already... Men, you've made a step. Men, dad, be here every week. Make sure your family is here. Do whatever you have to do. Move whatever is out of the way because this is a priority of your life. Start reading your Bible. Come to Friday morning men's Bible study. Buy a book out there. Grow a pair about being a godly man. That's all good, but push all that aside. It has to start with one thing. You have to have a conversation with God that nobody else can have for you. And the conversation goes like this. God, I need you to move into my life and sit in the driver's seat for a while because I need some help. And that is our prayer. Now I'm done, 16 seconds under time. All right, so uh, let's stand up. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing two songs. And I guess you can watch a football game if you want to. God, I, I, I love you. Thank you for not giving up on us. We've given up on ourselves a lot. You know, I, I'm just tired, God, of everybody walking around avoiding the truth patting men on the heads and saying, ah, it doesn't matter, it's gonna be okay. But the truth is, it does matter and a lot of us are living in a mess and we want something better. So I, I know it kind of steps on some toes, mine especially, it kind of hurts our feelings and things like that, but the bottom line is we wanna to get to a better place and that is only possible with you in our lives. So if any man in this room needs to have that conversation with you, any woman in this room needs to have that conversation with you, will you come and live in our lives? Will you let what Jesus did on a cross pay for our past mistakes? Will you take that burden off of our shoulders? Will you move inside of us and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? Be better people. Break habits. Have hard conversations. Do whatever it takes, God, to throw our entire lives in a better direction. God, I pray for men in this room as they wrestle through things with you. I pray for the women in their lives that they'll be patient with us for a little bit more, a little more time. I pray for couples and families that you would protect them as this brings up some issues that may lead to some hard conversations. I pray for young single women in this room that they will not lower their standards just because the rest of the world has. I pray for single moms, that you'll bring a godly man into the life of their life and into the life of their children so we can all run towards Jesus together. That is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.